It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. Who wants to talk sports on a Monday? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my co-host, the irreverent John Riley. We welcome you to our Monday bonus podcast as we broadcast from our Dixieline Lumber and Home Center Studios in San Diego. John, coming off what was supposed to be a great sports weekend wound up being a lost sports weekend. We had a lot of topics on the table, and there was a ton of controversy. But before we hit the floor running, remind everybody about how they can join us right at the end of our Monday bonus podcast with Fans Forum, how they can subscribe and join our team, because we got some exciting news within a week that we're probably going to announce for all of the people that join us on Fans Forum. But identify <laughs> Fans Forum Who's going to fill out this extra chair here at the end of the show? All right. So live stream viewers, this is your chance to be a co-host in the podcast. We're already got, you know, we're starting to get live stream viewers on board. Someone already jumped in. Raul said he can't wait for today's show. So we'll get you, Raul, involved and everyone else in Fans Forum. Just type your comment or question for Hacksaw in the live chat on Facebook or YouTube and we'll get you involved. And a reminder, subscribe. How do they do that? Subscribe. Oh, yeah. You got to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Hacksaw. We're on all the po- audio platforms. Plus, make sure you, you subscribe on YouTube. That's the most important. But just generally speaking, like, follow, share, and subscribe across all social media. And a reminder, give us a thumbs up if you like what we're doing and we like what we're doing. And give us a five-star rating because that really helps us out with notoriety. And if you like sports, have you checked my website? That's the address right across the top of the screen, Lee Hacksaw Hamilton. It's all written. It's an absolute ton of sports information. John, our podcast is brought to you by Dixieline Lumber and Home Center Stores. Nine locations to serve you in San Diego. you got projects for the fall or you're thinking of something later in the year. Think about where to go get all the materials. Dixieline Lumber and Home Center Stores. Build it. Fix it. You will enjoy it this fall thanks to Dixieline Lumber. We start with baseball off the field, in the dugout, and in the front office. Yeah, so this could be like maybe a fallout from all of the controversy we had at the end of the season and going into the offseason. So here's the burning question. The future of the Padres, the future of Bob Melvin, and to a degree, the future of A.J. Preller. The Giants on Sunday night got permission from the Padres to interview Bob Melvin. Melvin, bare background. Melvin, relationship with Farhan Zaidi, the Giants general manager. Melvin, not happy with what happened over the course of two seasons, one in the playoffs, one that was a failure, and his relationship with the general manager of the team. The Padres agree to let Bomel talk to San Francisco. Two winning seasons in San Diego, but it was two years fraught with problems, injuries, attitude, chemistry issues. I asked the burning question, why would you leave a $4 million a year contract and a roster that's probably going to bounce back next season and be in the postseason? Why would you leave that to go to a San Francisco team that historically has been cheap, historically doesn't pay their managers, and currently does not have an awful lot of talent on the roster? Is it because you're tired of the act? Are you leaving behind the Padres and leaving behind the failed relationship with Preller? And if he leaves, 
Who do they promote? Who do they go outside and hire to replace Bob Melvin? Is it Mike Schilt? Is it Ryan Flaherty? My sources tell me those are the two candidates. Schilt, the ex-Cardinal manager, who did very well, 229 and 155 in St. Louis before he unceremoniously got dumped. Flaherty's been with the Padres four years in the front office. Coach, administrator, wide variety of relationships. Obviously, friendship, I think, with Preller. And the burning question, do you trust Preller to make the right decision? I had a horrible thought in my mind late last night (laughs) as I was putting together the format of questions for today's podcast. Mm -hmm. Don't know why this came up. Preller equals Captain Quig. Hmm. So we got an awful lot here to break apart, unpack, and discuss. Why would Melvin leave San Diego to go to a substandard situation, San Francisco? He doesn't want the grief, man. I mean, I, I, I think Melvin's gone. I think if, if they've asked for permission and the Padres have offered permission, he's as good as Gonzo. I mean, that kind of what happened when he came here, when he, we got permission from the A's to interview him. But, you know, he's an old timer from the Bay Area, grew up on the peninsula, played for the Giants. I see him making this move and, you know, absolving himself of all of this controversy, all of the meddling, and he's going to go to a situation that'll probably be a little bit better for him. And you know what? You say the Giants are cheap. They they have a lot of money. I'm telling you, they're going to be big players in this offseason market. Maybe Otani, maybe some other big names. They might have a plan in place to sell Melvin, just like the Rangers had a plan in place to sell Bochi. Okay. Where do the Padres go? Who wants to work for that guy, the general manager? Is it in-house? Is it from the outside? And can you trust Preller to hire the right manager, considering fired Bud Black, failed with Andy Green, failed miserably with Jace Tingler, and now in a sense has failed in the relationship with Bob Melvin, and you're going to trust him to get it right the fifth time? Response? I said originally that if if Preller fired Melvin, then he would not be the GM again. But in this case, if this happens, this would be Melvin leaving the team, which might give AJ a mulligan. Maybe, maybe. But you've got Schilt, who I think a lot of Padre fans on uh, Padre Twitter would love to have him. Flaherty is another guy, but Matt Williams too. I mean, he's been a manager in the league. So they got a lot of internal candidates. I don't think they go externally. I don't think they go and get another Jace Tingler or Andy Green or some first timer. So Schilt really sounds like the right guy at the top of the list because he did really well in St. Louis. But he didn't do well at the end, and the inference was problems upstairs with the analytics guys in St. Louis. <laughs> what do you think's going on upstairs at Petco Park? Is Schilt going to accept this methodology as to how AJ Preller wants to run the franchise? But aren't all man aren't all major league franchises run the same way? This is the same problem with uh, Dave Roberts and the and the Dodgers with the front office guys, the analytics guys, trying to tell the manager what to do and who to start and what pitching changes to make. So I think this is just pervasive throughout the league, and it's up to these old school managers to find ways to mesh with the new school. Is AJ Preller Captain Quig the way he's <laughs> operated and treated people? He, he, you know, I don't know, man. He's a tough nut to figure out sometimes because I I believed in him from the beginning. I still believe in AJ Preller, but you hear all this backwash, you know, from what's going on behind the curtain, and I start to question myself: Is he the right guy? But you know what? 
when you have a roster that, that this good, you're going to have manager candidates lining up for this job. I mean, Buck Showalter wants to uh, manage somewhere. Maybe Buck comes to San Diego rather than going to Anaheim. I could not get out of my mind last night as I was putting the structure together. The comment made by Manny Machado. Look at the back of my baseball card. The back of the Padre baseball card has been fraught with failure. Oh, yeah. Outside of the three-month window a year ago when they made the run and they bopped the Dodgers and then got killed by the Phillies. Outside of that three-month run, they've had nine years of disappointment and failure. John, I excuse me when I tell you the baseball community right now, the pulse of this community they are pissed. Yeah. They are pissed at Captain Quig, at AJ, <laughs> at Machado, at the whole aura of the disappointment of Padre baseball. I don't know how you patch that and how you repair that unless you subscribe to the theory, well, that was a bad year on the back of those guys' baseball cards and they'll bounce back next season. And the fan in left field says... Well, it was a bad year. I mean, all those guys choked early. I mean, Soto was slow as hell in the beginning. Machado was sputtering all year. Um, you know, just all, even Tatis, he came back. He was out gone for the previous year. He was not the old Tatis. So I don't know. You know, you look at the nine years the Preller was here, and then the first year, you know, they went crazy and they got Matt Kemp and and the Upton brothers and everything else, and that, that didn't work out. That didn't work out. But what did they have before that? They had nothing. They had nothing at all. They had Chase Headley and 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 Hundley playing catcher, and it was just a mess. They made an effort. I kind of wonder if Mike D was behind that. You know, bye bye bye. But then they kind of wised up. And they started rebuilding that that farm system, and yeah, it was nine years of that of terrible track record with Preller, but five of those years was build, 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 and we saw the light at the end of the tunnel. This is when we expected the window of opportunity to open. They just choked this year, and the window could close November first because you got the budget constraints, mm -hmm. and you got free agency, and you got Scott Boros, and then you got guys coming off surgeries. Not the same team next spring in the Cactus League. Okay, hey, there are no excuses accepted. All we want from you right now is to join us on Fans Forum. Look at them filling up that list. <laughs> Holy cow, it's like a red light at the intersection and people waiting to get through the lights so they can express opinions. Fans Forum, join us in the chat box. Questions, comments, Padres, Padres Melvin, Padres who... Padres GM Captain Quig, you are invited to join us. We go from that. Let's talk about postseason. Oh, I think the playoffs have been fun, mm -hmm. and now we're on the brink of going to the World Series. Yeah, I mean, we have a Game 7 that's going to go happen in tonight and potentially another one tomorrow. I mean, these, these have been widely entertaining uh, series. Okay, let's start, first of all, with the American League Championship Series on a Monday night. Astros Rangers, old school managers, it's been an entertaining series. Home runs, great defensive plays, bean balls, bench-clearing brawl incidents, and an unbelievable amount of action. Max Scherzer will start with Texas, but knowing the history of Bruce Bochy, if Scherzer is not what Scherzer used to be, they'll go get him in the second inning if he gets guys on base and gives up runs. Bochy let him go four innings in the first start coming off the DL. He wound up giving up five runs along the way. We'll find out. 
the emergence of the next superstar personality. I've been so impressed with Adolis Garcia, the player, and how he carries himself on the field and the fire he brings with a glove in his hand and what he does at home plate. I was I was a little surprised at the bench-clearing incident after the three-run home run in the game on Friday night. But you know what? The personality of that guy at bat and the personality of some of those other players probably was a festering point for why that happened. Uh, Odalis hit a three-run home run that put Texas in the lead. Next at bat, he got plunked with a 97-mile-an-hour fastball up on the shoulder. I thought the pitch got away uh, from the Astros reliever. He didn't go to the mound. He turned around and said something to Martin Maldonado, the catcher. Mm-hmm. There's history between those two guys dating back to a plunking that Garcia had during the course of the season. And there was another incident where Garcia had hit a home run coming down third base, and Maldonado was standing on home plate and wouldn't move to let him touch home plate. Really? So there was history there. <laughs> and then obviously, when he got plunked, they started yapping at each other. Now, we'll say this about Garcia. He did launch a three-run mammoth home run. He stood at the plate and watched that ball go. And then he just took a couple of steps walking. And then he spiked the bat on the baselines. And then he started to run. And then he ran around the bases. And then he got to home plate. And because the game was in Houston, he jumped on the plate and stomped on it. Yeah. So Garcia kind of threw a little bit of gasoline on the fire. But... Boy, I like the persona of the player, and he's obviously a really good baseball player. I'm still waiting for the Astros batting order to to explode because there's some guys that have not yet hit. And now we're sitting here, Game 7. Somebody's going to the fall classic. Somebody old school, Boach or Johnny Lee Baker. It'll be fun. Uh, Your thoughts on what happened to Garcia, the catcher? the whole aura of what the Battle of the Lone Star State's been about. This has been a great series. And the fact that it's always been the visiting team that that wins in this thing, which is kind of weird. But, you know, when Chapman hit that home run and slammed the bat down, I loved every minute of that. To me, this is like entertainment. It was a big moment and a big game. And he did it. He made it. He accomplished it. And, you know, we see guys celebrate all the time. Like in the NFL, they have a touchdown dance or a sack dance or whatever the heck it is. Why not let these major league ball players, you know, I, I, it's still that old school mentality. You don't show up the other side. Well, just that's just BS. This is entertainment. This is big money. Go out there and make a show of it. But do, that dude is a legit player, too. Oh, yeah. You know, and and, um, and so I, I give him huge credit. I, I didn't think the Rangers had a chance in this series. And now here they are on the brink of maybe going to the World Series. Okay, we go from that playoff to the one that's already underway. National League Championship Series back in Philadelphia. Phillies, Arizona. Philadelphia trailing early in the game, but it's early in the game. 3-1 as we hit you with our bonus Monday podcast. Here's the big story. They're in the bandbox. The fans are howling. The noise level is unbelievable. And there's Schwarber's moonshots and Harper's big bangs and Castellanos and Rio Mutos home runs. This is 
This is a Philadelphia Philly team that I think is ready-made. They win this series. They go to the Fall Classic. I don't care who gets out of the American League bracket. It's going to be a fun World Series. Yeah, it's going to be great. And the Phillies are another wildly entertaining team. I mean, these guys, every one of them is a personality, aren't they? Yep. Which makes it really fun. But guess what? Today it was Tommy Pham that hit a home run and Guriel <laughs> Jr. that hit a home run. I, I still have this love-hate relationship with Tommy Pham, but right now I'm a fan of his, and it's nice to see him have success. But, you know, in the beginning of the playoffs, weren't you just going, like, Arizona? How yeah, are, how did the Diamondbacks? I mean, how are they in the playoffs? You know, and here they are on the brink of going to the World Series. I mean, so it's a fun story. But the the Philadelphia Phillies are like a team of superheroes. Every single one of them wears a cape and has a story. <laughs> I mean, they're an incredible team. A unique, electric, eclectic group of personalities led by brad marsh looks like charles manson (laughs) just absolutely amazing hey fans forum question is this gonna be a good world series have you enjoyed what you've seen so far aside from the fact the dodgers are not there and the padres never got there (laughs) fans forum jump on board get in the chat room let's talk baseball we go from that let's talk nfl football Oh, the Chargers Chiefs came in. I think the best part of the game was seeing Taylor Swift in the skybox because the Chargers <laughs> blew it again. Bolts problems everywhere. The calendar changes, but the Chargers problems do not change. Kansas City's offense won the first half of the game. Kansas City's defense what won the second half of the game. Uh, Patrick Mahomes in the opening half, opening half, before you went to the fridge to get your second beer, was 12 of 14 for 323 in the first half. Incredible. And then Travis Kelsey, he just happened to go crazy. Kelsey winds up with 12 catches, 179 yards. Mahomes finished with 424 yards passing. Kansas City against the smart guy defensive scheme that Brandon Staley put out on the field. Kansas City had 523 yards in offense against Brandon Staley's defensive game plan. On top of that, Kansas City had a 96-yard drive against that defense. Kansas City (laughs) had a 50-yard punt return that led to the touchdown that sealed the deal. And Kansas City's defense in the second half, Chargers, six possessions, no touchdowns, two pass interceptions. And in typical Charger fashion, big plays everywhere by the other guy. Kansas City, 16 plays of plus 10. Chunk plays of 47, 48, and 54 yards, in addition to the big punt return. Justin Herbert started strong first half. He was matching first downs with Patrick Mahomes. Josh Kelly had the 49-yard touchdown run. The kid had a breakout game, Josh Palmer. 61-yard pass reception, went over the 100-yard mark. Second half, could not protect the quarterback. Five sacks, two picks. Does anybody have any confidence any longer in Brandon Staley? And here I am, because I've watched the game, I chart plays, I look at formations. I'm sorry, I'm, a, I'm, I'm wired differently. <laughs> I can just picture it, which is awesome. <laughs> Shut up, I tell my wife. Shut up, quit yelling at the TV. I'm trying to write this down and pay attention at the same time. Brandon Staley opened with his own. They dropped all their guys deep. And Travis Kelty says, I see that. 
I'm going to go out here, sit in the middle of the zone, catch the ball, turn and go upfield. Yeah. They ran the zone the whole first half. And Mahomes went 12 for 14 for 323 in the first half. I've never seen that in my entire life of broadcasting or covering the NFL. Smart guy, Brandon Staley, on his resume, front page of the resume, said defensive coordinator. Great mm-hmm. success, Rams. Where? Not with the Bolts. No. This is just awful. So, fans forum, burning question, because he's going to answer it. Do you have any confidence any longer in what Brandon Staley represents as the Chargers head coach? They're 2-4. and four. they got to play <laughs> Kansas City again. they got to play at Baltimore. they got Detroit. It's just not going to get any easier. They've dug themselves a hole, and I don't think they can climb out of the hole that Brandon Staley, head coach, has dug for them. Your response? Hashtag fire Staley. I mean, that's <laughs> that's the line right there. This guy, I mean, is he? St- are they still 31 or 32 in the NFL? Oh, they're and 32 defense? lock solid. Oh, they are. They are now giving up 406 yards per game defensively. Insane. So I mean, so we I mean we know that the defense wasn't going to be good in the beginning of the year, but you are saying that this is going to be the greatest Chargers offense since Philip Rivers, LT, and Gates, and maybe better than Fouts and Winslow and Charlie mm-hmm. Joyner. So maybe is Justin Herbert maybe not as good as we're always gushing about this guy? He's playing with one hand. If you watch closely, like I watch, I know you're popping the cap off your beer. <laughs> And you're yelling at the TV. If you watch closely, he's handling the ball differently to protect that fractured finger. Mm. So that impacts him, I think, setting up to throw and obviously on handoffs. He pulls that left hand back and he's handing off with one hand. So he's not right. Offensive for line, to me, has been a big disappointment. And that that incorporates everybody from what I thought was going to be a real start left tackle, Rashawn Slater, to the guards. The loss of the center, Corey Lindsley, with this heart arrhythmia issue, I believe, because mm-hmm. they've not detailed what's good. He's not back. He's not coming back for a while. That's a big issue. There is no power run game. Uh, occasionally, Josh Kelly will pop a 5 or a 10-yard run. There's nothing significant yet with Austin Eckler. Uh, you know, the wide receivers, losing Mike Williams has hurt. Um, it, they're just, there's not a lot of down-the-field stuff because – the quarterback's hurt, they can't protect the quarterback, and the guys down the field aren't getting open very often. So there's problems offensively, and obviously you give up 406 yards per game and we're almost to midseason. You've got all kinds of personnel problems defensively, and your smart guy coach operates a zone against Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. Yeah, I mean, that's just crazy. I mean, he's just going to pick them apart. But I don't know. I mean, if you you share with us the what's ahead of the Chargers on the schedule, I mean, there's a chance they don't even finish 500. I mean, they may be below, you know, 500. This is a disgrace. This is supposed to be one of the top teams in the AFC, and they keep failing. I mean, so, yeah, it's time for Staley to go. I mean, I don't even know if he survives the season. This little black button over here, <laughs> I think that's the eject button. When he hits that, that means somebody's leaving their job, whether that's in baseball or whether that's in the NFL. Fans forum question for you're a Charger fan, because you're going to do this show, the back half of the show. You're going to do this show. Fans forum question. Brandon Staley in over his head. Is it too early to fire this coach just two and a half years into his run? Let's hopscotch around the National Football League before we get to halftime. Talk about some of the other storylines in the other games. Yeah, there were some really interesting games. And you know, I love the story in the Chicago Raider game. I know you're going to get to that. Okay, let's look at uh, the board here. 
Uh, top games. Miami-Philadelphia. It was not what we thought it might be. It surely was not what Miami did a couple of weeks ago when they played in Buffalo. That being said, now there's a bigger question as it relates to the Miami Dolphins. I mean, they lead the world in offense plus 400 yards. Are they beach boys? Because in the two big games, they got smoked in <laughs> Buffalo. Right. And they got pounded in Philadelphia. Those are the two games they've lost. Their wins have come against teams with a combined record of 8-25. Hmm. So do we really know, is Miami tough enough to be a really great football team, or are they just putting up big stats and yards and points when they're playing teams that are a collective 8-25? and 25? Yeah, that's a fair question here because the Miami is it's like, you know, all offense, very I mean their defense wasn't able to hold Jalen Hurts and the and the Eagles. So yeah, it does make you wonder. But boy, yeah, that game, I mean, just seeing the two guys that were on Alabama together and how they were not necessarily um there, there wasn't friction there when they were at Alabama together because Hertz was rooting for Tua on some of those I see on the old replays. But now they're going against each other. It was a neat storyline. But the Eagles, man, they're, they're loaded. And I, I heard today they made a trade for like some defensive back, too. Yeah, Kevin Byard came from the Tennessee Titans. He was an impending free agent. And their front office, I will tell you, Howie Roseman, unbelievable player, personnel guy. So you got Philadelphia pasting Miami. I don't know if I would say that I was shocked at the outcome, but the Lions obviously walked into an ambush in Baltimore, and Detroit had been playing really well, and they were playing really physical. And when they got done, Lamar Jackson just trampled them, 387 yards passing, 56 yards rushing, that Ravens defense, two picks, five quarterback sacks, Jared Goff was under siege all day long. So Detroit's had a nice jump start to the season considering what they've been for the last decade or so. But boy, did they get pounded uh, by the Baltimore Ravens. I was a little stunned. It was 30-6. to six. Detroit was not more competitive, but they got jumped in the alley that is Baltimore. Yeah, isn't it weird, too, how... Um you know, even the the Ravens, some weekends they're great and other weekends not so good. So it's just so kind of sporadic. But, man, I just love the Lions story. I mean, all that misery for so long, forever. And now they've got a great head coach. they got a team that's behind them. they got Jared Goff, who looks terrific. But, yeah, then they – I mean, it's like any given Sunday, right? So, like, they get, they get ambushed, as you said. So, you know, I mean, are we ever going to see an undefeated team like the 72 Miami Dolphins? I don't think it's ever going to happen again. There's some good teams in the league, but no, this year we definitely will not. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's go to the third game, Bears-Raiders. Do you know where Shepherd State, West Virginia is? <laughs> no. Uh, they are a Division II school. This is a fascinating story. First of all, the Bears with a Division II quarterback beat the Raiders, really beat them up. The Bears, da Bears, <laughs> very little talent. And it's obvious the Raiders have got even less talent. So the Bears in their Division II quarterback from Shepherd State, West Virginia, a year ago this weekend, the kid threw five touchdown passes who were 2,400 fans in the stands at Shepherd State. They beat Concord State of West Virginia, <laughs> Division II school. This kid, in his first start, throws for 162, Taylor Bajant. And Chicago beats the Raiders. And they beat him with a Division II quarterback and a street-free agent 
Donta Foreman, who's been with five different NFL clubs. And and the Raiders, they started the old dog, Brian Hoyer. Then they went to the rookie from Purdue, Aiden O'Connell, because there is no Jimmy G. They couldn't get the ball to Devontae Adams. And this Josh Jacobs, 13 million contract, the fact he held out, he hasn't earned a penny of his contract in, what, five or six weeks into the season. And I'll tell you what, people are starting to bark in Las Vegas when they step away from the slot machines, barking about Josh McDaniels. Is this guy in over his head as a head coach? Because he's 9-15 and with the Raiders, and he was 11-17 and in Denver. So the guy is 20-32 and and not doing a real good job. And the Raiders, Raiders look like this is going to be a terrible season. And we're not even to the halfway point, and they're just not competitive at all. So you tell me, Josh McDaniels on the same firing line as Brandon Staley? Oh, for sure. I mean, for sure. I mean, you see that guy walking up and down the sideline. He looks like a man that is not in control of his own fate. He looks like he's he's like a deer in the headlights sometimes. He's not sure what's going on. So, yeah, they're going to have to make a move there. But I'm wondering, go back to Chicago. Do you, do you think there's going to be a quarterback controversy? Is, should Justin Fields be nervous about his job? No, because I think he's a dynamic Division One quarterback who's put up some really big numbers. Now, he's he's got a dislocated thumb. So that's probably at least a four-week window. Uh, I you know this this young quarterback we'll just see if Bajent can be productive and manage the game. By the way, Da Bears play <laughs> Da Bolts at SoFi next weekend, or actually next Monday night. There'll be eleven people will watch that game. <laughs> so we'll we'll see how Bajent does against the Chargers in the Monday night football game. But no, Fields is the guy because he was a high pick, and they're trying to make him a more complete quarterback, and he's a phenomenal, phenomenal athlete. The other game, the Rams got pasted by Pittsburgh. Now, a week ago, I had a bye week in my house. Steelers had a bye week. My wife had a bye week. She She's from West Virginia. <laughs> That's she right. not yelling at the TV watching the Steelers game. <laughs> so, so anyhow, Pittsburgh comes back, and they beat the Rams at SoFi on Sunday. And they did it in typical, conventional Pittsburgh way. T.J. Watt, interception. Touchdown. Pittsburgh, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. Boring football. Three long scoring drives, second half. Three different guys score on the ground. They beat the Rams. Rams are upset. Their veteran kicker, Brett Maher, who they got from the Dallas Cowboys, misses two field goals, misses a point after. He might be doing this podcast next week because they might be buying his contract out. Sean McVay is really unhappy. He was really unhappy with the atmosphere at SoFi. You think there are a few people wearing black and gold at SoFi Stadium? Oh, yeah, Center? for sure. Or you think? Yeah. So anyhow, the Rams lost one that most everybody thought they would win. And by the way, when you look at the standings in the NFL tomorrow in the paper, mm-hmm. put the make sure the cup of coffee is away from the table. <laughs> I don't want you doing this and having the coffee spill all over your nice white shirt and striped tie because Pittsburgh's in first place. And as bad as they played— and as bad as the language that came out of my wife's mouth the first couple of weeks, <laughs> they're four and two. What a yeah. job by Mike Tomlin. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, it's a Jekyll and Hyde league, right? Isn't it? One week, the Steelers looked horrible, you know, and now suddenly they're beating the Rams. And the Rams, we thought, 
we're going to be terrible to start the year. And they surprised us and we're playing better than expectation. And then they go back in the tank again. But, you know, there are a lot of Steeler fans in SoCal. So I remember oh, yeah. when the Chargers played at the uh, in Carson at that soccer stadium and they played the Steelers. It was like a road game for the Chargers. It was like 80 percent Steeler fans in that little soccer stadium. The last so, couple of years when the Steelers played at SoFi, yeah. color of the day. Black and gold. Unbelievable. You know, so it's it's great for Kroenke. He's making money, you know, getting people in the stands, but they're all rooting for the other team. Raider Nation, you're joining us on this podcast. Raider Nation, join us in Fans Forum. Just muscled your way in, sucker punch somebody, get into the chat room, ask a question, make a statement. Josh McDaniel's in danger of failing and getting fired as the coach of the Raiders. Hey, we get to halftime. Coming up, we're going to talk college football all right, podcast, bonus Monday podcast, brought to you by Dixon Line Lumber and Home Center Stores. John, when people, you're a homeowner, I'm a homeowner, they got projects they got to do. And I don't know whether it's fixing the kitchen cabinets, changing out the kitchen, whether it's doing something in the patio, reconfiguring a family room like you turned one of your family rooms into this phenomenal studio, <laughs> uh, Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center Studios. Tell them about Dixie Line, where to go to get the materials for the project, whether it's this weekend or something maybe in the fall or into the winter. You know, it's interesting because sometimes when you have a project at your house, there's certain things you can do yourself. And then depending on your skill level, you might be able to do more than you think. But sometimes a man's got to know his limitations, right? And so for a lot of Dixie Line customers, the homeowners will go and buy the stuff. But other times they work with a contractor and and the, uh, the homeowner will go to Dixie Line and shop and pick out the cabinets, pick out the countertops tops and then the contractor installs it all so um it, you know they're real good people and they work great with both the professional and with the homeowner nine locations to serve you if you've never been there just drive over to one of the nine dixie line lumber home center stores take a walk through and just see what they've got as you come up with your game plan dixie line lumber and home center stores build it or fix it you will enjoy it this fall this is dixie line As we go to the second half of our Monday bonus podcast, just a program reminder, we got something we're planning to spring in a week or so to tell you about. So please put that in your date book that you want to be with us. Bonus Monday, regular Thursday podcast. We're going to do some unique and different things to expand our podcast there. By the way, we want you to subscribe so you'll get the dings. Well, in the minute we put something <laughs> new on our YouTube channel, we want you to share Tell your friends. You network with everybody. Email them. Text them. Whatever form of communication. Tell them about Hacksaw's headlines and the podcast that we are doing. And check my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. Ton of information. I write on it every day. John, college football. College football. And, boy, USC, <laughs> San Diego State. It's Armageddon and SoCal right now, Hacksaw. My favorite phrase was, great sports weekend. <laughs> reality lost sports weekend big time what a miserable weekend in college football and speaking of people being unhappy they're not ha happy with lincoln riley up at usc you know he's he came in he's making mega money they brought all these recruits this was going to be national championship caliber football he's not a guy that interacts with the fans very distant with the media even more distant he doesn't do things with, quote, the Trojan Club with, really? with the alumni. I mean, he is really hands off. And I, I thought Chip Kelly was strange in terms of his relationships. 
not vibes that I hear. Lincoln Riley just just he's in his own little world, and you're not allowed inside that world. And his world right now is black and blue. They got battered by Utah, mugged by Utah. You lost. You're a Trojan, and you lost to Utah's third string quarterback who didn't have his number one running back nor his number one wide receiver, and you got battered. Kyle Whittingham has beat the Trojans four years in a row. Wow. Caleb Williams running for his life. Poor Caleb. Every time I, I turn up on the TV, there's Caleb doing a commercial. Yeah. I mean, you know. <laughs> he's in a lot of them. Yeah, he's obviously, he's doing very well off the field. But running for his life because he's got no protection. Same old, same old. No defense at all. And Utah just methodically goes down the field and finds a way to score. How the hell does that talent level in Salt Lake City beat this talent level at the L.A. Coliseum? Reaction to what you saw? Yeah, it was. It's supposed to be the year of the quarterback, Lee, in the Pac-12. So what happened to Caleb Williams? He was lighting the world on fire. We thought he was going to be a back-to-back Heisman guy. But now the Trojans have lost two. There's no way they're going to make the playoffs. And I I, I assume that he's out of the Heisman conversation. Well, I have a Heisman vote, so he's not in the upper echelon yet. Now, he started like a house of fire. But people figure you out. And then you start playing real people. And all of a sudden, they find out deficiencies in that offensive line. He's running for his life every time he's operating out of the shotgun. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. The running game has gone away because they can't run block, and the pass blocking has, has been negligible. So it's it's a big issue there. UCLA beat Stanford. It was strange. Chip Kelly, who just isn't real honest with the media, Limits their access to practice. Doesn't want to talk about who's available, unavailable. He sat as freshman quarterback Dante Moore. Went with the journeyman transfer Chase Garbers. Garbers played well enough for them to beat a bad Stanford team. I would have thought, though, I mean, Dante Moore is dynamic, and he is the future. I would have thought, let the kid work his way through the adversity on the field. He had thrown six picks in his last three games. He had thrown a, a pick six in each of the last three UCLA games. So I was kind of surprised Chip Kelly did it that way. And, you know, now they're getting ready. They're going to play Colorado this weekend mm-hmm. at SoFi. So the burning question is Dante Moore going back in the lineup, or you're going to have Chase Garbers transfer from Cal, fringe guy, journeyman guy, let him be the starting quarterback. So I just happened not to be, I shouldn't hold grudges, but you rubbed off on me. Uh <laughs> You know, I, I can't forgive Chip Kelly for what he did to the Holiday Bowl down here. Oh, yeah. What a disgrace that was. Yep. I mean, God, we don't want UCLA coming down to San Diego anymore. They screwed us. They're backing out like at the 11th hour. But, you know, I think you got to start Dante Moore. I mean, he's your guy. And and meanwhile, you know, Stanford, you know, they, they came back and beat Colorado. I mean, they're not that bad of a team, um, you know. So, I don't know. UCLA is kind of interesting to see. But I, I have a problem with these head coaches, whether they're pro or college, if you're not friendly with the media, friendly with the boosters, I mean, you're going to ultimately be your own demise. I mean, these are supporters that could be fans, could be, you know, your marketing agency, you know, is that's what the, the a good press could really help promote the program. You seal yourself off. You're going to start getting a target on your back. Yeah, really surprised how those head coaches, SC, UCLA, conduct their business. Brady Hoke needs friends, that's for certain. I don't know if this is rock bottom, but this is not what we expected. San Diego State losing, losing to Nevada 
losing to an 0-6 team, losing to a team that had lost 16 games in a row, losing to a team that was 119th in the nation defensively, losing to a team that was 130th in scoring defense. They lost to Nevada 6-0. Now, I've been here covering Aztec football for a long time, broadcast the Aztecs for about nine different years, through some good times and some really bad times. In modern-day football, I thought the worst loss I had ever seen was when San Diego State, in the old whack, went to Las Vegas, played UNLV at the end of the season. Vegas was 0-10, and the Rebels beat the Aztecs. Ted Tolner was the coach, and that was pretty much the end of Ted Tolner's run. And then in the 15 minutes that Chuck Long was here as head coach, they played it in Fort Worth at TCU, and they lost, I think it was 73-6. to So there have been some bad Aztec losses. This one wasn't good at all. They had only 78 yards at halftime. They had 204 yards for the entire game. Jalen Maiden fumbled again, killed the last drive when they thought they could get in and make it a 7-6 win rather than a 6-0 loss. They've just regressed. They've regressed from a a play-calling standpoint. They've regressed uh, probably from a talent-level standpoint. Obviously, they regressed in terms of head coaching credibility standpoint, too. And it's something I, I thought about late last night. What's really alarming to me is I see the same similarities at San Diego State right now as we do this Monday bonus podcast, as I saw in Ann Arbor in the final year when Brady Hoke was head coach, when the Michigan man, mm-hmm. he went through quarterbacks, he had all kinds of problems at quarterback, then he fired his offensive coordinator, Al Borges, and next thing you know, Brady Hoke is out of a job. And what's happened at San Diego State? They've lost five quarterbacks in about two years via transfers. Guys quitting, guys leaving. And he fired his offensive coordinator, whom he had hired a year ago. I, I just, there's too many similarities there. I'm shocked that it's as bad as it is right now. And yeah, the record the record says three and five, but I think it's a lot deeper with a lot more problems than just being three and five. Your reaction? Oh, I mean, I was really hard to watch that game on television. Um, and, you know, the fans are barely there. Everyone's leaving in the, in the middle of the game. I mean, imagine trying to sell season tickets to the Aztecs. I mean, what do you what do you sell it on? You know, just come to our stadium because we've got good food and beer. Um, but it's it's a disaster. And when Hoke came here originally and he brought along um, uh Who's the old guy again, the defensive coordinator? Uh, well, Rocky Long. Rocky Long, pardon me. He brought along Rocky Long, and we and they had a really great you know coaching staff, and they resurrected the uh, the San Diego State program, and we thought Brady Hoke was was the it. And then he gets taken up by Michigan, and we're like, oh, man, we just lost a great coach. But then Rocky did a great job. Then Rocky elected to step away from coaching. I thought bringing Brady back as, as his D-line coach and then elevating him back up, you just keep on trucking. But boy, this thing yeah. has gone off the it's, road into it, the ditch. totally off the road. And it, I mean, I know you go to the press conferences and you like Brady Hoke. I mean, as a man, uh, but boy, has this been a disgrace on the on the field. And, you know, scoring zero points against at, those guys against Nevada, who's like terrible. I mean, they had lost 16 in a row before that game. I mean, this is rock bottom. It can't get worse than this. S-D-S-U. You know what that stands for? <laughs> no. Same damn screw-ups. Yep, that's exactly right. Oh, this is awful. Okay, hey, Aztec fan, 
all one of you. Join <laughs> us in Fans Forum, your response. The USD situation really bothers me. Uh, it's a, a terrible season at one and six. They they fired a good man, uh, Dale Lindsay, as head coach. who done a really good job. I think his record was 80 and 40, and they let him go wow. at the end of the season without real explanation. Uh, and so they replaced him with a, a new coach, Brendan Moore, who'd never been a head coach. And then you get the hazing scandal. Um, it, it's tough because I expected them to be fairly competitive, even with the transition to a new offense with a new head coach. But the scandal and how they've handled it, refused to handle it, I think has been deplorable. This is the Catholic school up on the hill, which has refused to provide their coach access to the media at all. No player interviews, no coaching interviews. And I hold Bill McGillis, the athletic director, responsible because it's your job to run this program and to run it correctly, which means media access, answer questions, no transparency. This Catholic university on the Hill is acting as if this didn't happen. Well, it did happen because 40 of your 73 players evidently were involved in some form or fashion. Answer the questions, get on and fix the football program. It's so unfair to the kids that they refuse to market it. They refuse to allow coaching interviews, player interviews. They're treating it like a club sport. Now, what's next? Flag football at USD? It's terrible what they've done allowed to happen and the way they've mishandled the situation. That's one man's opinion on Torero's football, but this is it's bad on the field, but to me, credibility-wise, it's even worse with the president of the university, the CEO, and the athletic director. Well, you know, ca- Catholic school, and they're taking the same playbook from the Catholic church, you know, here with cover-ups <laughs> and everything else, which is a mess. But um, I thought the old coach, Dale Lindsay, wasn't he suing them for age discrimination? I don't know if the, if the lawsuit ever got filed, but he was unceremoniously dumped. Now, had they slipped a little bit? Yeah. In the last year and a half, they'd slipped a little bit, wound up five and five. But then perennially, they were a really good one double A football program, non-scholarship at their level. I thought he got treated rather rudely. But this this is a whole different dimension, the way they've handled, mishandled it. Okay, we go from that. Just a program reminder. We're here every Monday. Fans form right at the end. We're here every Thursday with the Flowbone Pod Pass. And you know what tonight is? What's that? Tonight is the eve of the opening of the NBA season. Yeah. Tomorrow night. You want to talk hoops? Yeah, talk hoops. I mean, this is a, a really interesting year. I mean, the headline, which team is better? That's a great question. Like Fascinating storyline. Lakers open tomorrow with the defending champions. Denver, they play up there. Clippers open Wednesday. They get the new-look Portland Trailblazers in Los Angeles. Lakers, I thought, won the offseason. You know, they re-signed Rui Hachimura, re-signed Austin Reeves, brought back D'Angelo Russell, and then they went out into the marketplace, and they got all these young guys on one- or two-year contracts, Turian Prince, Cam Reddish, Gabe Vincent from Miami, the big backup center, Christian Wood, and they got the young guy, Max Christie, who's starting to play really well as a former number one draft pick. So I, I think the Lakers right now are positioned. Now, that being said, two years ago, uh, the Lakers excited us all as they had the reunion tour, and they brought in Carmelo Anthony and a bunch of old guys. That didn't work. <laughs> and then, then a year ago, well, here comes Russell Westbrook. We think he'll make a difference, and that didn't work. So this is the third reinvention of diff, different chemistry. But this is a pretty collective good group of guys they've got. 
to go with Anthony Davis and LeBron James and Reeves and D'Angelo Russell. I'm fascinated to see that. Now, across the hallway, you got the Clippers. And the Clippers are healthy for the first time in a while. Uh, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George played in all the preseason games. And a year ago, they held them out. And then when the season started, those guys had injury problems. So they got minutes under their belt. You got Westbrook back as a role player, but he adjusted himself and became a valuable asset off the Clipper bench once they got him. You got the two big guys who kind of don't look sexy, but they do smash you around in Zubak and Plumley, And they really got a deep bench with Batum and Covington and Terrence Mann. I don't think they need James Harden. Now, Harden, everybody in the NBA has got to have big three. It's the old phrase, three-on-three basketball. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants three superstars, whether you're the Boston Celtics, Milwaukee, whatever. I don't know that they need Harden. And I'm always worried about Harden talent, Harden toxic talent. So you tell me your thoughts on the Lakers. You tell me your thoughts on the Clippers. And if you're an NBA fan on our podcast, do not shoot air balls. Hit a three. (laughs) I want you to... Jump in the chat room right now. Talk Lakers, Clippers. John, go ahead. Yeah, banging around on the boards in the podcast. Um, So the Lakers last year exceeded expectations. And they had a terrible start. They had great trades midseason. And they made it all the way to the West Coast Western Finals, which surprised me. Now, are they better this year? Yeah, but I don't know if they're going to be better, like get to the finals better. I mean, I think they overachieved uh, last year. But, you know, Rui Hachimura is just a great role player. Austin Reeves kind of opened up our eyes. Um, They've got a lot of really interesting characters on this team. Um, But the Clippers is the team that I would prefer to see have a magical season. Because the Clippers are like the Chargers and the Padres. You know, besides San Diego Roots, they're always failing. And you'd love to see the Clippers have success. Yeah, I think you don't touch Harden with a 10-foot pole. I mean... That's a guy, that guy is he's going to be it's going to be meddlesome to the culture and they've already got a lot of good young players there. The key for the Clippers is to keep Paul George and Kawhi Leonard healthy. If they can do that, then they've got a shot. Okay, we go from that. Topics on the table. We've got some other names here we want to talk about. There are a lot of unique storylines. Uh, let's start with soccer. Uh, his name is Bobby Charlton. If you're an old-time soccer fan, you'll recognize this name. You know, in the history of the great sport, England has won the World Cup one time only. You know, they kind of invented the sport mm-hmm. one time in 1966. That guy was the captain of the team, scored the most important goals in the history of English World Cup soccer. He just passed away at the age of 86. 249 career goals at Manchester United. Manchester United, the great global team. Yeah, 49 more goals uh, in international play. Uh, great player, Bobby Charlton, Sir Bobby Charlton. Oh, nice. Knighted by the Queen. Uh, so he's passed away. We talked a little bit briefly about this uh, sad story involving the Olympic gymnast Mary Lou Retton. She's from West Virginia. Very critical condition. Uh, some type of very strange pneumonia case uh, in ICU for four days was near death. They rallied her back. Finally moved her to a private room. She had a relapse over the weekend, back in ICU. Um, gymnastics around the world has put their arms around Mary Lou Rutten. They've raised over a half million dollars in money to help pay her medical bills. It's kind of stunning to me. She does not have medical insurance, which is an absolutely stunning story. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, but maybe she never worked, et cetera, so therefore where was the medical insurance going to yeah, come that, from? Yeah, that makes sense. But uh, she's got four daughters, 
lives in Texas, but uh, she's not in good shape because now she's back in ICU. And the third name was Phil Mickelson. You know, we, we had a lot of extensive conversation, John, about PGA Tour and the light of bolting, light of the bolt of lightning <laughs> that came out of the sky. Yeah. Uh, about all of a sudden, there's going to be a merger: PGA, LIV, Saudi Arabia, and this will solve all golf's problems. But the merger has stalled. Congress is involved. There's a lot of conflicting areas they're trying to solve. We thought there was going to be peace, and they'd either they'd get it done by December, and next year would be a joint schedule, or maybe it'd take a year to get it done, etc. How Phil Mickelson this past week down at Miami at the Doral. Holds a press conference and says, we're ready to play in 2024. And by the way, PGA golfers are approaching us about coming across the street, leaving the PGA and joining our tour. Really? And part of this agreement was there'd be no more conversation about stealing players. They took 31 players that first year. Yeah. You know, the Brooks Kepkas of the world, the Dustin mm-hmm. Johnsons, paid them all that money. Nobody in the States has watched the LIV at all. No TV ratings. Yeah, yeah. And you look at the galleries, there's hardly any fans there. It's like it's recreational golf. <laughs> uh, so all of a sudden, Phil Mickelson starts talking about the PGA Tour. He says, yeah, their players are calling us. Their agents are contacting us. And by the way, Phil Mickelson says, here's a message to the Grand Slam events, <coughs> the Masters, British Open, etc. Mm-hmm. You better protect yourself. And you better admit the LIV golfers because you don't have the same tournament if our guys are not oh, part of geez. that tournament. So all of a sudden, Mickelson, who has a tendency to, yeah, doing it again. And he started this whole thing when he talked about the PGA two years ago. And he was <laughs> the first one that jumped <coughs> for all the guaranteed money. So he was supposed to not do this, and he's done it. And I don't, I don't know where the merger talks are. Right now. So your comments on Sir Bobby, Mary Lou, and Lefty. Well, for Lefty, I'm still blown away. Because remember, we were talking a number of months ago how he's bet over a billion dollars or close to a billion dollars, which is unbelievable. But, you know, is Congress going to solve the PGA LIV thing? Congress can't even solve their own problems. They can't even get a Speaker of the House. So depending on government to solve it, it's not going to work. But Mickelson needs to understand what's happening here and needs to kind of back off, you know, because LIV is you know, they're going to go in under the PGA uh, brand, right? Right. So he's the LIV guy, so he's got to take a back seat. Tough on Mary Lou Retton, because I just think of her smile. Every yeah. time, That's she's just beaming all the time. Uh, so, But I, would, I think you're right. And maybe she just never had a job, never had group health insurance. But I'm surprised if she has family, why the family doesn't have insurance. You think they would maybe buy it on the open market, even though it's expensive. Um, and then Bobby Charlton, you know, I, I, you're educating me on some of the history of the game. I didn't know England only won one World Cup. Yeah. I mean, you would have thought it'd be a lot more. Well, Germany and Italy have dominated, but dominated means two or three World Cups. And then Brazil. Brazil. But they're not, you know, it's it's spread out now. Mm-hmm. But no, England invented the game and they've won it only one time. But boy, he was, the fact that he got knighted. Sir Bobby Charlton? Yeah, that's legit. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it is. Okay, our Monday podcast brought to you by the good people at Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center Stores. Got projects for the fall. Thinking about doing something different in the winter, whether inside or outside of your home? Think Dixie Line Lumber, nine locations to serve you. It's John's turn to take over the show 
with those guys. Everybody with us on Fans Forum. John, unless we're going to go three hours, I don't know how we're going to get all these <laughs> questions in, but there. you picked them, start them. Okay, so all these guys, how about getting Susie involved? He goes, how about those Browns? Well, the Browns, yeah, the wild win against what I think is a substandard Indianapolis Colt team. Big problem. I mean, the Browns' defense is really good. Thank you, Miles Garrett. Jim Schwartz, the coordinator, but Deshaun Watson is hurt again. They're not talking whether it is a concussion. He did hit the back of his head on the turf again, came out of the game, never got back in. Report today he's also re-injured the rotator cuff. So it may well be he's going to have to sit again going forward. But it's no doubt that Cleveland plays state-of-the-art. We are ranked number one defense in the dog pound. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a cool story to see it. But what are they, three and three now? Mm-hmm. You know, so it's interesting is a lot of people thought that they were going to be a dominant team in the division. And, and it's like the Jekyll and Hyde thing. Some weekends they look great, others not. But, yeah, be on the Colts, you know, good for them. And let's see what happens. And your your other quarterback that you like, the gunslinger Gardner. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he he kind of went crazy through three touchdowns. They turned it over five times along the way. Yeah, did but you see the uniforms they were wearing yeah, in the, the game? Yeah, the old blue and, and black. black. Yeah, it was it was a different look for the Colts. Yeah. Uh, Gardner Minshew just kind of went haywire. But that's <laughs> he's a gunslinger. That's how he plays. Next question. Next question. Let's go to Joseph. He says, hey, who wants to manage Juan Soto and Manny Machado? Well, I think there has to be an attitude adjustment in the Padre Clubhouse, and it has to come from the players. There's got to be more team unity. There's got to be more leadership. Maybe there needs to be some more accountability. Um, I'm not going to make an excuse. Maybe the last year was just an aberration. Soto was so bad early and then so good after that. Machado had different nagging injuries, just wasn't the same player. El Nino was, he played pretty well, pretty consistently coming off the year suspension, but not dominant statistically. Uh, Cronenworth was a huge disappointment. It's his second year statistically where he's dropped off. Hassan Kim was phenomenal. Um, you know, the Padres had great pitching early. They've lost two starters. I It does not appear, if you subscribe to everything that the insiders are saying, that Blake Snell's coming back, nor is the other free agent coming back. And that's a big, big issue and then, and then they have to deal with the Soto situation. My heart says it was a one-off, that if you keep it together, this thing will bounce back. But it's not the same team. Darvish, who knows what he's going to be like coming off elbow surgery. Musgrove, to me, has got a scary capsule injury. Those things don't heal consistently. Might be okay, but I've known pitchers who have had capsules that have had more setbacks. And if there's no Josh Hader, now it's a very, very different bullpen. So... Uh, and if they're going to cut the bu- payroll and budget. There's a lot of unanswered questions as October spills to November. And now you got the potential managerial vacancy on top of it. The Padre world is upside down. Yeah, I mean, everything seems to be breaking apart and fragmenting. But, you know, Joseph asked the question, who wants to manage Soto or Machado? Soto never really struck me as a problem. I mean, we, we know about Manny and his history and how he could be a bit prickly. But... People were on Juan Soto's case early on because he wasn't producing. But you look at the end of the year and his numbers were terrific. But remember, you know, this was one of the criticisms was is that he's only in it for his own stats. Soto isn't in it for the team to win. But remember, Jack Clark used to criticize Tony Gwynn for that very same thing. If, If dude is getting on base and taking walks, I mean... And launching balls. And launching balls. I mean, how can you blame Juan Soto? I mean, to me, he he isn't the problem here at all. No. 
But the problem is that agent wants 40 to 50 million mm-hmm. and not many markets can afford that kind of dollar figure for that player. It's it's a, it's a quandary. It's a mess. We move on on fans form. Okay, here's another uh, Padre question. Uh, this is from John. He says, for manager, hopefully they can get Donnie Ballgame or Mike Schilt, someone with credibility. But don't forget the Preller let Dave Roberts get away when he was the Padres bench coach. Never even interviewed the guy. Concur with you. Schilt is the one that's got the track record. But I think we have to understand, did Schilt get bounced out of St. Louis despite three years of success? Did he get bounced out of St. Louis because he fought with the analytics guys? And who's calling the shots upstairs at Petco Park? AJ's boys, the analytics guys. So we've got to walk through the hallway to understand what happened with the Cardinals and whether or not Schilt would accept whatever is being funneled his direction from the analytics. Or are the Padres going to change their methodology? But if they're going to change their methodology with how they deal with the manager, then why wouldn't you just retain Bob Melvin? it's the same story we're hearing everywhere about these analytics guys meddling around. And if you're an old school manager, you don't want any of that BS. You know, you want your, I take the data, but it's my team. I manage the game. Exactly. In my dugout. So if, if Preller and all these other GMs around baseball are going to keep doubling down on the analytics, which I, I understand. And there's logic to that. You can't get an old school manager because that's like oil and water. So I don't know if Schilt would work here. I mean, that maybe it won't make sense. Ryan Flaherty has known Preller a long time, and he's done a lot of different roles, which scares me. Ryan Flaherty going to be a yes man to Captain Quig? I don't know that that's good either for the Padres. John, we'll see where the storyline goes in the next 48 to 72 to 96 hours. Move on. Moving on. Here's one from Shardol Gupta. She says, hey, I've enjoyed what I've seen in the best of seven series against the Phillies. I think playoffs have been fun. And fun because of the personalities of the players, you know, the the dirtbag bunch that is Philadelphia, <laughs> and obviously the long ball hitters in Texas, and the old school managers in Boach and Bakes, and so I, I think the World Series, regardless of who's in it, is, is really going to be fun. And baseball has really had a rebirth, if you will. Uh, the TV ratings are up. Uh, the, the rule changes have had a massive positive impact on the game. And if you watch the broadcast, the presentation is slicker and it's faster and the commercials are an awful lot of stuff geared towards the younger fan. Oh, yeah. So, I I mean, baseball has, I guess, to a degree, had a rebirth going after a very different demographic and... Chicks love the long ball more than a lot of home runs in the playoffs. So I, I think World Series is going to be fun, even though it's it's not sexy. It's not the Yankees and it's not the Dodgers. Yeah. But these teams can play. Well, you hear like a lot of, you know, broadcasters like Colin Cowherd will say, well, if the, you know, if the Dodgers and the Yankees aren't in it, who cares? You know, he just wants the big market teams. But it's neat to see, you know, here we have what, Phoenix, Dallas, Houston and Philly. Now, there's a lot of big city names in there, but. It's not New York. It's not Boston. It's not L.A. or even San Francisco. It's nice to see some new blood. And it's great that the fans are jumping on board. And you're right. The 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 presentation is a lot more exciting. The, M- the MLB has done a really good job marketing their sport the last few years. Yeah, concur with you wholeheartedly. And the stadiums, it's like going to an NFL playoff game. The noise level in the stadiums, notably in Philadelphia, where they're all drunk before they get there and then they drink more. <laughs> I mean, just the fan interaction. Nobody sits down. You watch a game in Houston, 
Everybody's wearing orange, and they're all standing up with their phones, and they're screaming oh, yeah. and yelling. And so the whole environment around the postseason playoff games, it's really cool. Yeah. It, wouldn't it be fun to be a, a fan in Philly? I mean, you got the Phillies. You got the Eagles. I mean, every game is like probably like a giant party. So yeah, good on these guys. And, and the fact that the uh, AL and NLCSs are going to a game six and a game seven, all the better. I mean, this is going to be awesome. My next door neighbor moved here. He's one of them. Unbearable Eagle and Philly fan. <laughs> he he moved here, as I said. He got deported from New Jersey. <laughs> okay. Unbelievable, overbearing, belligerent Eagle Phillies fan. Well, he doesn't realize who he moved in next to. Oh, you know? he does now, yes. <laughs> Let's see, get a couple more here in fans forum before we get to social media. Okay, here's one from John. He says, hello, Hacksaw. Been following you since Mighty 690 Days, LOL. Hey, we did it then, did it well. We're doing th- what we're doing, what we're accomplishing, and it's all his fault. What we're accomplishing is absolutely amazing with our podcast, the bonus podcast Monday, what we're doing on our big podcast on Thursday, what we have plans for, and what we're doing on all of the social media stuff. There are people who stop me at the supermarket or stop me at the fitness center or wave at me that obviously spend all day doing this <laughs> on their cell phone. With the, and now they know what we're doing on Instagram. We got like 13,000 followers on Instagram, and we've only been up on Instagram, I don't know, three or four months. Something like that, yeah. I mean, it's just absolutely amazing. So you're right. We did it really well on 690, 1090, and what we're doing here is unbelievable. Yeah, it's a new era, new sports uh, digital media And you're talking to somebody who's still got a Royal Manual typewriter in his garage. (laughs) Okay, John, a couple more. Yeah, you know that. Okay, how about one here from... from OC, uh, Ralph uh, Rail fan, he says Chargers are cursed by Spanos. I wanted to do it, but I decided it wouldn't be in good taste. I was going to write an email last night to Dean Spanos, and it, it would have said, "Hey, I had a great weekend. How was your weekend, Dean?" <laughs> but I decided not to hit the send button, and I deleted it instead. Okay, let's go to uh, social media because we get a ton of comments on social media. John's got some friends out there in left field to do this also. Okay, here's one about Dusty Baker that I thought was good. This is from Jim. He says, please no to Dusty Baker, I guess, you know, potentially for the Angels. The most overrated manager of all time. Baker is always handed a loaded team, and he wins a lot of games without having to manage them. When he gets in the playoffs and has to actually manage a team, he sucks. Showalter, yes. Baker, no. Well, Dusty's been hired a lot of places, so he's obviously got a lot of credibility with major league owners. Uh, And I, I will tell you this. If you go back and if you historically look at the win-loss records of managers in postseason, it's really hard to win a lot of games in the playoffs. Well, yeah. I mean, these guys are all at 43 and 41 or just right around the 500 mark. I mean, there's nobody that's 50 and 18 outside of Bill Belichick uh, in postseason play. So I, 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 postseason's such a different animal because everybody's got talent and things can change your team real quickly in a short series. But... Dusty Baker's held in high regard by a ton of baseball people, which means he's got great credibility. And, you know, Buck, 
Dusty's managed 26 years. I think Buck has managed 22 years. Buck obviously got the World Series with the young Arizona Diamondbacks team. And then he managed in some really brutal situations, a bad Baltimore thing when the owner just stopped spending money. But uh, one of these guys should wind up in Anaheim. And to me, the Anaheim hire is not just, quote, a name. It's got to be a guy with credibility stapled to the front of his resume. And I tend to think those two guys have credibility. Yeah, they do. And Dusty, I mean, they're in, you still notice how the media is interviewing the managers in the dugouts now? Mm-hmm. That, that's interesting to me. Well, it's part of a TV marketing deal. Yeah, but yeah. it's working. I think it's really cool. It's neat to hear Dusty comment on the game. But, you know, if you want to criticize Dusty Baker, there is one incident. Is Remember in the... Was it in 02, I think, when the Angels and the Giants were in the World Series? He was managing the Giants. Remember, his little kid was the Bat Boy and almost got run over by J.T. Yeah. Snow. But uh, there was one moment where I think it was in game six and the Giants were ahead and he went and pulled the starting pitcher and he gave the pitcher the game ball. So the pitcher walked off the mound with the ball, which is so unusual. I think it was Matt Cain. It might have been Matt Cain, <laughs> yeah. And and then the bullpen play, uh, pitchers came in, blew the game. Angels won, then Angels came out back and won, I think, was it Game 7? That, that was a problem there for Baker. But generally speaking, yeah, he's terrific. I mean, he's, he's rebuilt some of that credibility in Houston. I still hate the Astros, but at least I can partly respect them there with Dusty. We'll see what the Angels do. Angels should, they should be the first one to hire a manager. They've had this opening a long time. They should know the blueprint and who's the guy? And I think it's got to be a right guy with credibility that walks in the door. The, the end sales pitch, Otani, stay here. We're going to fix this thing. Move on. Moving on. Okay, here's a comment about USC. This is from Al, and he says, USC has always been all hat, no cattle. You are only as strong as your weakest link. USC, like Colorado, has no D. Defense wins championships. Um, that reminds me of someone who also never had a defense over the years and never won a title. Oh, yeah, the San Diego Padres, the San Diego Chargers, too, except the 1963 AFL. All offense is entertaining and sells tickets, but you don't end the season as a winner. Well, you need defense, and it, you know the history will write. There are teams that played great defense that had methodical offenses that won. Circa nineteen eighty-five, Chicago Bears. Yeah. So I, yeah, I mean USC for all their abilities to jump into the transfer portal and get as many quality players. How come they didn't get any of those guys on the defensive side of the football? That's a shortcoming of Lincoln Riley, and now for the second year in a row, no playoffs. Now, I don't know whether Caleb Williams comes back a third year to play because he could play one more year at Southern Cal. But they're at, they're not going to make the playoffs. And, you know, their, se- their seasons, they still got rugged games to play. They got to go play Oregon. They got to play Washington. And they got to play the enemy across the street, UCLA. They, so there could be another loss or two. Yeah. I mean, they, when was the um, Reggie Bush era? That was in the 90s or was that in the 2000s? 2000s. The 2000s. So SC hasn't been really dominant since then. No. And then you have to go roll the clock all the way back to what was it, Coach McKay? John Robinson. And prior to that, Coach McKay, when they totally dominated. Yeah. I mean, those were some glory years. But, you know, talking about defense, the Padres had like the best pitching staff ERA in baseball, didn't they? Yeah. And gold gloves in a couple of different positions. And they still didn't win because they didn't hit for two exactly. thirds of the season. And, you know, the Cleveland Browns have a great defense, but I don't think they're winning the Super Bowl. No. 
Okay, let's take one more here before we wrap it up. Okay, let's uh, let's get in. Uh, here's one about Herbert. I thought that was worth uh, mentioning. And this is from Jake, and he said, "Stop giving excuses to Justin Herbert. You gave the same damn excuses to Philip Rivers for years, and he never won, even when he went to a better team." Well, I don't quite understand the beef about Herbert. Now he's not having a great year this year, but he's been dinged. He got dinged last year, and he stayed on the field. Kid throws for over four thousand yards. Every year in the league, his touchdown-interception ratio is phenomenal. I mean, statistically, he's been good. It's not his fault the rest of the organization has failed to put defense on the field or failed to keep the offensive line healthy. I think he's a really good football player. But, you know, you're you're treating him like he's some second-class citizen. He's statistically, he's a really good NFL quarterback. He probably rates inside the top 10. I mean, if you put his name out on the waiver wire, you know how many teams would be standing in line to put a claim in on oh, yeah. Justin Herbert? There was nothing wrong with Philip Rivers. Philip Rivers had a really great career, and they built good people around him. They just never got to a Super Bowl. They got close, but then the, the year that they could have gone, you know, Rivers had the knee surgery. Tomlinson wound up getting hurt. Uh, Gates had been suspended, and then he got hurt. So, no, I'm— with apologies in advance, you're bleeping wrong. I just tend to think Herbert's a really good quarterback, and I think Rivers was a really fine quarterback. Maybe not a Hall of Famer, but damn close to it. So I think there's still a lot of good football left for Justin Herbert, but this is this is an organizational failure. This has not got much to do with Justin Herbert. Well, it sounds like the Dodgers GM, Andrew Friedman, saying organizational failure. Um, but, you know, in, in the draft, didn't um, – Miami take Tua with a pick right before the Chargers took Herbert. I mean, who do you like there? If you had your druthers, would you rather have Tua or or Justin Herbert? I had reservations about Tua because he kept getting hurt. He got hurt at Alabama twice. Mm -hmm. And I thought he's a little undersized and quarterbacks in the league going to have to take some hits. Uh, And he has to stop running and he has stopped running. Uh, you know, I think they're both going to be really fine quarterbacks. I would have taken Herbert, though, because he's an intellect. He's six foot six. He's got a gun for an arm. And that was a real proven commodity. I think the big debate on Tua, in addition to the fact he's much smaller, was Tua great because he was at Alabama, surrounded by all those number one draft picks? Mm-hmm. I would have taken Herbert, but it, it turned out to be win-win. For both of them. Hey, listen, we hope you have enjoyed our Monday bonus podcast. We cover a ton of topics on the table. We are going to ask you, request, we're going to demand you that you subscribe so you'll know every time we put something up on our YouTube channel. Tell all your friends about everything you're doing. We want you to go take a tour of the Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center store shops just to see what they've got to offer. We'll be back here Thursday for the full complement of stories. Check my website, Lee Hacksaw. Hamilton.com. I'm writing an NBA preview that'll be posted later tonight. If you're a basketball fan, check that out in my one man's opinion column on my website homepage. John, have yourself a great Thursday or great Monday night. We'll talk to you come Thursday. Yeah, right now, D-backs four, Phillies one, top of seven. Oh, we're going to game seven there, dude. <laughs> I think so. Hey, thanks for joining us on Hacksaw's Headlines. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. Touchdown, San Diego! For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.